Heidi ho, friends. It is Monday once again, so it is, of course, time to roar, and you could see, hear, feel? No, not feel, but you can see and hear most, if not all, of my interviews live as they happen before anybody else if you just support us either on patreon or on locals patreon.com slash lions of liberty over there is where we have all sorts of tiers you can produce an episode of the show uh you can have an ad a mention on the show you can get merchandise you can get on monthly calls with uh myself brian and odie there is just so much goodness over there or if you're a patreon adverse check out our locals page lionsofliberty.locals.com either way you'll get access to all of our bonus content including like i said live streams of most of my interviews as well as bonus shows such as brian's good morning fuckhead degenerate gamblers as well as conspiracy corner some would say we kind of had an episode of conspiracy corner for the public last week uh with my guest christopher knowles who that that interview is just getting a fantastic response so welcome to anybody who's hopped on over there from the secret sun blog uh but all sorts of goodness behind those paywalls they are they're very small walls these paywalls as little as five bucks a month so if you do want to support our work if you do want to help us continue to grow the show and as as for myself i can speak to myself this is what I'm doing now. This is all of what I'm putting into are, are my projects, my personal projects. I left a very well-paying job due to, well, issues that will come to light perhaps someday, but, but not at this moment. But please do consider supporting our work so we can bring voices like the one you're going to hear today right to your earbuds. With that being said, let's get ready to roar, baby. <laughs> All right, with me today, she is one of the co-founders of an organization known as No College Mandates. And uh, just a few months ago, she was really not involved in any of this stuff, but she is here with me to roar today. I'm very pleased to welcome Miss Joni McGarry. Joni, are you ready to roar? I am, Mark. Thanks for having me. Sure thing. It's a pleasure to have you on. And uh, now we're going to get into what you've been doing as of late uh, with the no college mandates. But before that, I'm kind of curious what what your thoughts were, or how involved you were in any way, shape or form in terms of politics and political philosophy before this college, college mandate issue came up, which is, has just thrust you into a spotlight, <laughs> I guess you could say. Um, and quickly so. Um, well, going way back to my own college years, I was um, a pretty lefty liberal. And over the years, of course, that has changed. In the last, I would say, four or five years, um, I have had a really big shift when I looked at the landscape and how, you know, especially the media has treated um, what's going on and, and what's been happening. Um, but several years ago, my husband took me to um, a Mises event. And uh, Ron Paul was the speaker. And that sort of really, you know, in the Ron Paul revolution, I became very interested in libertarianism and um, started thinking very differently. And then when you fast forward to the COVID epidemic, when that all started, I noticed a lot of libertarians online sort of devolved into, it seemed to me like they were just having turf wars and um, fights. And I thought, well, this is your huge moment. You know, we're having this enormous crisis in personal liberties. The government has decided when you can leave the house, how you have to cover your face, if your business is essential, um, and now what shots you have to take to gain access to society. And to me, that felt like this was the moment, you know, and I then decided that I would rather put my political thoughts and efforts into uh, pragmatic things, which for me meant um, voting as far right as I could. 
um, and considering those options and engaging with my own representatives that I felt would promote liberty rather than just sitting around talking about it. And so it was a, that was a shift for me politically going into this. All right. So you were kind of in this mindset. So what took you from someone who was, you know, had these thoughts and was already coming in this direction? So can you kind of dig into the the moment for you, the actual moment where you went for where, where you dove in to this college mandate issue? It was a little slow coming for me. Uh, my son is at Dartmouth and they had a vaccine mandate that started last summer. And my husband and I were not inclined to want him to get it. Um, but he really wanted to do it so he could have full access to campus and be back at school. And um, so he did that. And, you know, that had been done. But then in December, as he was going back for winter term, Dartmouth announced that they were mandating a booster. And that was, to me, just a bridge too far because there was no reason that he should, be have, should have to get a booster. And I didn't want him to get one. So I decided that I would do something about it. And it really was just that moment of, I'm going to do something about this and make my voice heard. Um, and this was right about the beginning of January. He was going back. It felt urgent to me. And so I went on the uh, Dartmouth Parents Facebook page, which I normally wouldn't do because I'm not really inclined that way. But I wanted to troll for other like-minded parents. So I just put up a notice saying, hey, you know, I'm going to write to Dartmouth and say I oppose their booster mandate. If anyone wants to join me, please, you know, contact me. And it just unleashed this storm of immediate pushback, you know, just to give, you know, it gave me an idea of what, you know, we all are up against because most people are totally on board with it. And I found a couple like-minded parents, but then it occurred to me, I thought, well, there must be a lot of people around the country who feel like I do, who feel alone in the minority. So I went on my Twitter account, which is very, very tiny. Well, it was, it was a hundred people at the time. It was January 2nd. And I tweeted out, I'm looking for like-minded parents who would like to have a conversation about college booster mandates. If they're opposed to them, direct message me. I figured maybe we'd get 20 people. And that night I had 80 direct messages. And by the next morning, um, my I used to own a business until November. And my tech guy said, start a telegram group. And I didn't know what one was. So I started it. And we immediately got to a couple hundred people. And then somebody in there had a connection with Fox Television. And then all of a sudden I'm on Fox and Friends. And then we had 2,000 people in the group. So it grew up very quickly. And so by probably three or four weeks into it, we had a consortium of over 2,200 parents from all over the country trying to fight these mandates for their own children and students and professors as well. So that was the moment that it happened. All right, a couple of things to unpack there. Um, first, I'm curious, he was, you said he was already enrolled in Dartmouth and then... He's, he's a junior, yeah. Okay, so he he'd already been there a couple of years. I see. Well, not there a couple of years because of the shutdowns, but on and off campus right. for a couple of years. Right, yeah, right. And, gotcha, gotcha. And so but as th- as a rising, he went to for summer term his sophomore year, and in order to be there, um, they were starting to mandate vaccinations. Gotcha. So it wasn't was it a condition of being in school or a condition of being physically on campus and having full access to normal college life? My guess is with Dartmouth, that's interesting because they don't really have an online portion in general. But yeah, it was a condition. You you had to be vaccinated or have an exemption. Um, You had to be vaccinated in order to be in the dorm, to go to classes. Um, So it's it's non-negotiable. It's not like if you're not vaccinated, you can 
be there and just not go to parties or, you know, whatever the, the right. thing would be. But yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a condition of matriculation that you must be vaccinated. And now it is a condition of matriculation that you must be boosted um, or exempted in order to sign up for classes, get your transcripts. All of the things that you would normally do as a college student are now there. You have to be vaccinated to do those things, not just there, but at thousands of other colleges across the country and over 300 colleges require boosters. What about the exemptions? You mentioned that they were accepting exemptions. Mm-hmm. That's something you looked into for your son at all? Was it, was it something that they make it really difficult to get? Is it the kind of thing where they say we take exemptions, but then you look at it and you can't actually get them? How, how does that all play out? You know, I'm not going to speak specifically about my son's personal situation in that sure, regard. Sure. But what I can tell you is that exemptions are granted you can have a religious exemption or a medical exemption on these campuses. And it depends very much on the college. So for instance, I'll give you like Boston College um, as one of the worst examples. They're a Jesuit university and you would think that, you know, they would take religious exemptions. They do not for the COVID vaccine. They say they do, but they grant very, very few of them. Um, Some colleges, Dartmouth is one of them. I think Cornell has been pretty good about it. They take religious exemptions without question. And you can even get a religious exemption, even if you've taken the vaccine before. And that's, that's a universal wow. principle because you, uh, you, are, um, you have the right to have a change of conscience, or perhaps you didn't know the vaccines were derived from um, aborted cells and perhaps that would bother you. And so you, you know, say, I didn't know, I took it, now I want this exemption. And so a lot of people take that approach um, or they just have a change in conscience and they don't wish to take the vaccine for spiritual or ethical reasons. And at some schools that works very easily. At other schools, it's near impossible to get a religious exemption and some schools don't even offer them. So that's one thing. The medical exemptions are far more challenging as you and I talked about offline. It's um, First of all, it's very, very difficult to get a doctor to write one. Um, Aaron Cariardi was talking about that. Um, He's a physician in California, and he talked about how um, medical boards have very strict guidelines about writing exemptions. And so what happens is these physicians feel under a lot of pressure to not write them because they're Mm -hmm. concerned that if they write one or they write too many of them, they could get disciplinary actions from the board and nobody wants that. So they, unless there's an extreme situation, most doctors won't write them. And then if you do find a doctor that writes them, often what happens at the university level is it gets rejected. So in, in effect, the university is practicing medicine by overriding your personal physician's view that you should not or ought not to get this vaccine. Um, So I know a lot of parents that are very, and and students, and I say parents mostly because that's my community, um, but they're frantic and they're very frustrated. Like if their kid had a bad reaction to the first one that wasn't, you know, like terrible, or he has a slight heart condition, you know, they find it impossible to get these kids medical exemptions. I'm curious, you, you also mentioned when you first, you know, put out that first uh, Facebook message in, in the parents group and mm-hmm. you, you got mostly, it sounded like a mostly negative response oh, yeah. at first. Yeah. From, so what, what kind of things were you hearing from parents at that, at that time? Oh, well, you hear, and we're taking another pass at it now. So the first thing this time around was, oh, and I said, my partner, Lucia Sinatra, who started this with me, she's also a Dartmouth, Dartmouth parent. She said, I said, this is what we're doing. And some guy immediately said, oh, I assume you're both doctors. You know, so it's it's that kind of pushback. And then you get pushback mm-hmm. like um, Dartmouth knows what they're doing to keep our campus open. We have to have boosters. 
You also have to keep the community safe. So you get all these talking points about safe and effective, keeping the community safe, which I want to go into a little bit because um, yeah. of the, the lack of data that supports any of this. And so you just get this sort of fear-driven or um, it's, it's this aggressive pushback. It's the trust the experts mentality. Oh, completely. And also as if, and I've gotten called a helicopter parent, which I am so not a helicopter parent. I got called an entitled parent trying to interfere with the university doing their job, knowing what was best. Um, but I think most people... And I think many people are just not that well informed about the real data. They, they, they just are not. And not that I'm an expert, but I, I know enough now to know that CDC talking points are not driven by data, um, particularly boosters for young people and vaccination in young people. And so um, I, I just don't take it at face value that they're safe and effective and my vaccine protects you because it does not. And so a lot of these parents... And to be fair, they just want their kids to be on campus in a normal situation. I mean, the devastation to this population has been the mental health problems. I mean, there are so many suicides. The kids are under so stress. They have to get tested all the time. They have to have these vaccines. Even with the vaccines, they have to still get tested constantly? Oh, absolutely. It depends on the campus. Um, but if you're vaccinated, um, you have to get tested once a week. If you're not vaccinated with an exemption, you have to get tested twice a week. And that's if you're completely asymptomatic. So you'll have somebody, we heard one story, this girl was going to a formal dance and she had her test on the way, she had to take that test that day um, and she was asymptomatic. Well, she tested positive and she had like, you know, a couple hours to pack her stuff to get into this isolation place off campus. So this is the kind of thing that's happening. Um, oh, they can't even stay in there. Well, I guess if they have a roommate or something, but no, well, it depends on the college. Like, you know, my kid actually got COVID along with about a thousand other kids a week on his campus, which is 98% vaccinated, um, you know, and he could quarantine in his dorm room. But yeah, the testing is um, constant, whether you're vaccinated or not. And do they have to mask as well yes, on campus? Yes, they do. Um, and if it depends, again, it depends on the campus. Like I'll, I'll say that there are many, most campuses have all these restrictions in place. And then you have a, a, com a college like Hillsdale. I don't know if you probably are familiar with Hillsdale College. Yeah. They're in Michigan. It's a small college. Um, they don't take any federal money, right? So they can do as they please and educate as they please. and they have no COVID restrictions at all. They had to shut down because of the Michigan state laws um, last spring or something. But since the fall, because I, I called their health department this um, week, so I thought, well, if they can do it, if it's possible to have no restrictions, and we're not hearing that all the children there are dropping dead and right. faculty are, you know, hospitalized. Because you know that would make headlines. It would. If, it doesn't seem... if, if one died, you'd probably make headlines. Absolutely. And so I called there and I spoke to someone in their health department and they said that, you know, there were cases in the fall, but they've steadily declined. And right now they have no cases, no cases right now. And that was like a week ago. But then I said, well, can you transfer me to somebody who has all that data? And, she, and this was so refreshing. She said, oh, I'd have to think about who that would be because we don't test asymptomatic students. We have no mask mandates, no vaccine mandates. We don't test asymptomatic students. We only test people who are sick and come into the clinic. Like sane people would, right? Right. <laughs> you beat me to the punch. I said, yes. how has that worked out for you? And she said, well, we haven't had any serious illnesses or hospitalizations among the student body. So 
I know it's a small campus, but if it can be done that way, it can be done. All right, guys, I got to take a quick time out to tell you about our good friends, Carlos and Vanessa Abelar and their incredible CBD company. Paloma Verde CBD. You can find them at palomaverdecbd.com. And there is simply nowhere else you should be turning to for your CBD products, whether you use them for aches and pains, for dealing with a little of that insomnia, or just general stress. CBD is a fantastic resource without having to worry about getting all high or anything like that, uh, like you would from the THC component. Uh, this is CBD is purely the non-psychoactive part of the marijuana plant. Uh, extremely helpful for all, all sorts of things. Also for your pets, it can really help your pets too. And you can find everything you could possibly need. Tinctures, gummies, the gummies, my God, the gummies are delicious. You can find them all over at Paloma Verde CBD. CBD.com. But the best part is you got to use promo code ROAR and you will get 25% off any order over $75 and free shipping. That's right. And free shipping. Check it out. Paloma Verde CBD.com. Do not forget to use that discount code ROAR for a tremendous discount. I, I want to dig into something you mentioned there and how, you know, Hillsdale was able to do this because they don't have federal funding. Uh, so are these campuses, uh, to what extent, I guess uh, I'm asking, have you gathered that these campuses are doing this because they want to on an individual basis, because the deans or whatever decide mm-hmm. this is what we should do? And to what extent is there actual pressure or even just straight up dictates from the federal government kind of dangling that money saying, if you want this, you need to, to follow right. along? Um, that is the million dollar question or the billion dollar question. Yeah, it's probably um, it's, a lot more than a million. It's very, very hard to suss out. Um, but certainly there is a great deal of institutional pressure on a lot of these places. And I, I can't say it's direct, but here's what I will tell you. Um, the NIH gives, you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars of grants to to universities every year and it's public information. So you can go on their website and search by university or organization. How much money did they get from the NIH last year? So a small Ivy league research institution, such as Dartmouth, um, they get $90 million a year. I think the university of Chicago gets, you know, over, I don't want to say them in particular, but there are colleges that get over $200 million a year from the NIH. So that is considerable money. Now, they're not granting these things saying, hey, you need to vaccinate so much of your population to get these grants. But I don't know. If I'm getting $90 million from the NIH, I'm not going to be so inclined to thumb my nose at their efforts. So that's one sort of um, soft pressure that I think could be being brought to bear on this. The White House has a White House College Vaccination Challenge. Challenge. Hmm. It's called the Challenge or the White House College Vaccination Challenge. And so they don't get paid to be in this, but they get, you know, they get points. And I want to just read, um, well, actually, if you have a second, I can read what their thing is. It says, this is their justification. While a significant portion of older generations have received the shot, younger Americans lag behind. It's time for younger generations to get their shot. We're all in this together. Ensuring that young people join their parents and grandparents and get vaccinated will not only keep them safe, but it will also protect their families and communities by reducing the risk of giving the virus to someone else. So that's the science, and I say that in quotes, of um, 
what's behind the White House vaccination challenge. And so they are given resources to set up vaccine clinics and encouragement to engage every part of that community to get shots in arms. So that's a whole White House push toward colleges. Um, There is an organization called the American College Health Association, which has been around since the early 1900s. They recommend um, health policy to colleges in all areas. I mean, in things as like, you know, um, sexual health, um, nutrition, gun violence, you know, you know, all things that are part of our healthcare, you know, milieu, they write policy. And they have a whole COVID-19 team and they strongly recommend boosters. What's interesting about the ACHA is they have a number of donors and they are, the only thing I could find on their page was from 2008 to 2018, but in the highest donor class is Pfizer. And they often partner with pharmaceutical companies to increase vaccine uptake. So these are not disinterested parties in vaccination. And again, I just want to say I'm not like an anti-vaccine person. You know, I have all my vaccinations. My kid has them. I never really thought about it until this particular instance. And then you start looking at how much um, um, connection there is between the pharmaceutical industry, between our government institutions, and now how that's being brought to bear to bring pressure in the college community. Is, is that that's kind of a long answer, but yeah, I think there's a lot of pressure being brought to bear. And, and then there's also another organization called Consortium of Universities for Global Health, and that's it was started in 20, 2005, and it's funded by the Bill Gates Foundation. And all of their member institutions are elite colleges and colleges that you know there's a push there. So there are a lot of things that are all interconnected, um, which might help answer the question. Why are these vaccines so important to push on college kids? Because when you look at the most mandated population of students, it's college kids. And they are uniquely in a position to be held hostage to this. Is that due to just uniquely in the sense that they have, that they are in the, many of them are already in these schools. They've already spent a lot of money. They have their coursework, their Mm -hmm. everything, so much of their life is already tied to this. And then suddenly, seemingly out of nowhere, this totally new mandate comes in that, yeah, you have to stick this shot in your arm in order to continue this path that you've already been on and already invested so much time in. Well, yeah, and that's, yes, I think that's absolutely true. But what's also interesting to me about this population, because I've been thinking a lot about it, is that they are sort of adults, right? Because most of them are over 18. So they have complete agency over what they do. They don't need parental permission to take a medicine to do anything. They're on these campuses. And, but it's the first time for many of them where they're separated from their families, right? Mm -hmm. So the colleges can set whatever policies they like. And those kids are in sort of a power dynamic situation where they're not going to say, hey, you know, I'm not going to do this. Um, And so they don't really have any kind of parental, um, and not that they need a lot of parental stuff, but if they were, say, a senior in high school or junior in high school, and they imposed a mandate on the kids, there'd be a whole community of parents who could find each other easily and say, you know what, let's go to the school board. We don't like this. At a college, you can't find each other. Right. You don't you didn't grow up together. You don't know each other. Tight knit community. You can't find each other. So nobody's there to intervene and and say to the kid, you know, this isn't such a great idea. Let's challenge this or, you know, maybe you should do this. The kids want to do it. They think, well, it's just a shot. Um, And so it's just a different situation. And 
another thing that strikes me about the push on college campuses is this is a perfect population to start to condition to do this. Um, these are kids, and particularly at the colleges where you had to jump through a lot of hoops to get in. They're compliant. They do what's expected of them. They check all the box. They jump through all the hoops. And so now they're on a campus. You now have to take a medicine, which you do not need. It's, you know, I don't want to argue the original vaccine, for the, and that's a bigger issue. But the boosters, clearly, this population does not benefit from the booster. And in fact, there is risk, which I also want to talk about very much in this age group. So there's a mandating of risk. So they have to take a medical intervention they do not need. And in lots of campuses, they have apps, right? You have apps that will say, um, like tracking apps for contagion. So there's all of, there are all these things that are happening, and they're just getting used to that stuff. And then when they go out into the world, they're used to it. Oh, I just have right. to take a shot for this. I have to track my movements for this. I mean, it's, it's the perfect setup. It's just what we do, It's right? what we do. Yeah. And a lot of those kids will go on to be leaders, and that's how we lead. We, we lead by mm -hmm. taking others' medical autonomy away. You know, you've been running in uh, libertarian ish circles for, you know, for some time now, even before this thing came up. So uh, I'm curious if you ever get the I'm going to I'm going to use air quotes for anyone not watching the video, <laughs> the libertarian argument of, hey, it's a private organization. Mm -hmm. These colleges are private. So who are you to say? Right you now, who are you to, to tell them they shouldn't have mandates? Um, well, the colleges, even if they're private universities, they're not private universities. Um, they take millions and millions of dollars of federal funding. They're not private. Hillsdale is private. You know, um, I think there are a couple other colleges. So that's such a tricky argument, right? I mean, if so, that, that's that, a very I, nice way to say stupid. Well, <laughs> it's, it's such a stupid argument. Um, yeah. It wouldn't be stupid if we all lived in small communities where the right. people who made the rules had to look you in the face, but this is not the case anymore. Mm -hmm. These universities are not private. Um, they're just not. They take federal money, and so I, that argument doesn't hold. There are also moral and ethical questions, whether something's a private institution or not. And this is a moral and ethical dilemma as far as I'm concerned. These kids are being coerced. Um, and, and the university can rightly say, hey, you don't have to come here. But I don't want to live in a society where in order for a, a person to get access to his future, that they have to take a medicine that you tell them they have to take that isn't even necessary for them. I mean, just think about that. It's completely wrong. They should have a choice. I'm not saying that they shouldn't offer it. If somebody wants to take 10 boosters, have at it. But if you don't Some want- Some people probably would. And, and will, <laughs> Some yes. Some people probably would. Um, so yeah, I think it should be come down to choice. Um, so maybe we, we can dig a little bit more into- uh, the actual what, what you referenced there, the risk, because I think mm -hmm. what a lot of people might say is that, look, like you mentioned before, it's just a shot. So big deal. Right. So he's got to take a shot to preserve his college career. What's the big deal? Why not just take it? Um, well, you could. But in this particular instance, um, this is, um, excuse me, these are very, okay, let me just start. These, these are very, very new medical products. <clears throat> they were developed in record time. Most vaccinations, most vaccines take years to develop. Because of um, many, many factors, these came to market extremely quickly. They were rushed through development. The technology is completely novel. 
Um, we have never used mRNA technology to do vaccinations before. So it's a completely novel technology. It, it, your body sets, it sets your body up to manufacture the spike protein. Uh, it's mm. just funny to me, just just not to interrupt, yeah. even though I'm interrupting, uh, because, you know, for so many years, just, just the word you're using this word novel, it just it just reminded me that for so long at the beginning of this pandemic, when people would say, look, it's it's you know, yeah, it's bad. But, you know, it, this is basically a really bad flu and this and that. And people would say, well, yeah, yeah, but this is a novel virus. So we don't know what it can do. It's novel. It's novel. And now here we have a novel vaccine. Right. And those same people are saying, oh, just take it. It's just another shot. Right. I, I mean, everybody, everybody manipulates whatever it is to put forth their own thing. I mean, like, I guess when I say novel technology, um, I worked in the pharmaceutical. No, I mean, you're, you're correct. Yeah. yeah, I worked in the pharmaceutical industry for many years, years ago. And it's just that's like language that you did. This is a new technology. And yeah. um, and it also and one guy said, which I thought was <laughs> quite quaint, he said, it has a very different safety profile than, or now a unique safety profile compared to other vaccinations, which is just to me code say it has a terrible safety profile, you know, I mean, compared to other vaccinations, but to get to the actual um, documented risks of this vaccine, because I don't want to carry on about things that I may not know completely about um, in this age group, the risk of myocarditis from, and let me explain what myocarditis is because a lot of people don't know. It's um, inflammation of the heart muscle, your heart muscle, okay? So when they say it's mild or transitory, it's not necessarily either. The risk of myocarditis um, from the vaccine outweighs the risk of myocarditis from the illness in especially males in this age group. So think about that. All right, and there's data to show that there was a study that came out in um, December, it was an Oxford University study. It's not like, you know, frivolous data. So we know that there is a risk of heart inflammation and other similar things from this vaccine for males in that age group. And it's more than if they'd gotten COVID. So just think about that. And when you say for males in this age group, is that so is their risk of the myocarditis higher than, say, like a 40 year old female, for example? Um, yes. And so that's not true of all age groups. Like I think above 40 and, and I can, you know, but say middle age uh, and I, I can't remember the actual age you might have a higher risk of getting that from the illness itself. But in males under 30, that is not the case. Because their risk from the actual illness is so low that Correct. The, the risk posed by the vaccine is much higher. Correct. And so here you are, you're taking a group of young men, and, and women get this too, and women get other side effects from the vaccine, but you're, you're forcing them to get this vaccine. And you're, so what you're doing is you're mandating risk for them. And they have... So that's all you're doing. You're, you're injecting something in that they don't need that could cause them a problem. Um, and in fact, there was, there's a kid at um, Boston College, he's a 19-year-old kid. He had a stroke after his J&J vaccination. Um, and, you know, he's still recovering from that. And we're hearing other stories, but it's very, it's very difficult to, to get confirmation of whether it was a vaccine-induced injury or not. Well, strokes at that age should not be happening. So but, if it's not the vaccine, it's something else crazy. But they're being normalized. Um, yeah. and, and so are blood clots, because blood clots are another, it, the whole clotting thing is a very big deal here. And blood clots are now being normalized by the CDC. They did a, a little push recently that said, don't let the blood clot, don't let a blood clot ruin your big game this weekend. Yeah. Is that a real, that's a real thing? A real, yeah, they did like, they said, you know, they, it was like this awareness that you could, anybody could get a blood clot. Um, and wow. they said the best, how do they, it, it was just, it was some propaganda they're putting out. So it's, wow. 
you know, it's really quite remarkable to me. Um, so yes, it, but to talk about the vaccines in this population specifically, the risk of serious injury or death or serious illness or death in this population, which by and large is almost all vaccinated because these kids are on campus, right? So they've already had to get the vaccine. They've had the first round of vaccines, zero to near zero risk. And that's CDC data. So they don't need another shot. The CDC withheld the data that about boosters in younger people. And now that we know this, we know that there's no benefit. It came out recently in the New York Times that they're withholding data for whatever reason. And that also the data they have for boosters in younger people, there's just no real benefit to boosters. And yet these boosters are still being mandated for college kids. So the question is why? Why wouldn't there be this immediate pivot like, oh, well, maybe we shouldn't be doing this, but there isn't. And so it begs the question, why is this happening? Like if the data show that they don't need the shot, why are we still making them take it? So what do you think the reason is? <laughs> oh, I think it's, I think it's multifactorial, you know, and I, I think that there's been a deep institutional capture at the CDC and other um, governmental agencies. There's so much pharmaceutical um, money being put everywhere. Um, and I, I don't, I mean, I don't think most people are evil. I don't think most people are trying to do harm or even all that greedy. I mean, certainly there are a lot of people like that. I think most people are trying to do their job and um, they're not stopping to really think about what's right in front of them, like to ask those basic questions. So I don't really know what the day-to-day -day thing is like it, like a CDC, but at the very highest levels, something's happening in terms of their close relationship to the pharmaceutical industry, their close relationship to the Gates Foundation. Um, I don't know what the end game is. I mean, I sort of think it could be about um, more nefarious global things. Um, but I'm getting a little off track on that because that's all speculation. I think that there's just a lot of pharmaceutical capture. And I think that the decision was made that the vaccine was going to be the thing for this. And now, you know, damn it, it's going to be the thing for this. And you made a good point earlier too. the, the, the idea of conditioning people to accept this because what I see going around on around us, whether it's a vaccine mandate or what have you, it's it's the compliance is what this is, seems to be about. And what what better way to you know create this mentality than when they're young and like you pointed out, when they're vulnerable, when they have so much invested in, in their college and in their future and everything. I, I'm I'm curious what what actually happens like. Maybe you can tell me from, from your actual experience here when you when someone puts their foot down and even I don't have an exemption. I don't have a religious exemption that you've been granted. I'm not taking this. What is the actual result? Do they just get simply kicked out of school and do they get their money back? Like what what does that process look like for people that just say, no, I'm not doing this? I think it depends, again, on the college. And um, I spoke to a young woman in Connecticut um, this week, and she's a brilliant kid, a brilliant kid. And she had an exemption. Um, and then they wanted her to start testing. And she said, you know, they gave her a test kit that said something on it about DNA collection. And she said, I'm not, it said for research purposes only for not diagnostic purposes. And they were using it somehow as a COVID test. And she said, I'm not going to do this. I'm really uncomfortable with this. And then she had a scheduling problem. And so she didn't take the test. And then they said, well, you can take a test that you get at the CVS. And she realized there was ethylene oxide in it. And she said it's carcinogen. 
and it's under experimental use authorization, I'm not going to do it. I mean, she, she was well within her rights as a citizen and as a thinking person to say those things. She had a scholarship. She was a, a student of high standing, uh, quite a remarkable young woman. She got thrown out. Her wow. scholarship got yanked. So now she's not in school. Um, so that's one thing. There are other people who get asked to leave. And in terms of um, tuition refunding, my guess is at most colleges, if you don't get it in that window, you don't get it back. So if they're partway through a semester and they've paid up or whatever, like, yeah, tough luck, I guess, huh? Well, and, you know, they can say, and rightly so, this was the condition, you know, but then there are other kids who they change it halfway through the semester. Um, It's very tricky. And I, I haven't heard of any real successful lawsuits. Um, at this point, I don't, I don't think there is a, um, there, you know, there've been challenges to exemptions and some of those, you know, do well, but, um, the colleges have all the power here. And again, somebody could argue, well, you don't have to go, but you know, this is ridiculous. I mean, this is, it's just, I mean, all, all we're asking for is that you get to choose to take a medical intervention that carries risks and doesn't benefit you, that you get to choose as an individual student whether you're going to take that or not. And then the, the, a big argument, because um, you asked what the pushback is in the group, is like, it's not just about the student, it's about the vulnerable right. people. And, you know, the argument about you taking a shot to protect someone else, we, we've known since August. That's just, it's a, it's a fallacy. And yet the CDC continues to push that narrative. So... You know, it just doesn't make any sense. And it's not like these kids are dropping dead from this. They're not. And I don't mean to be cavalier. I believe that people do get sick and die from this. I mean, don't get me wrong, but the student population is not necessarily in that group. You said when you first, you know, you first got this together and you wrote to Dartmouth about this issue. So what what was Dartmouth's response to you specifically? Well, I I will say we got one, which most colleges don't, you know, yeah, they they don't even respond. Boston College is one of them. Um, but for Dartmouth, we had about, at that time, 12 parents. I mean, that's all we could get, right? 12 parents. And we, we wrote a data-based, um, highly referenced. We had like 40 or 50 pages of supporting documents. I mean, it was a really, really strong letter. And so we invited Dartmouth to um, please let us know what their risk-benefit analysis was that led them to make this policy, share with us their data. Um, Here is our data. Let's meet. Let's have an interactive conversation. I mean, it was a really strong, um, sane letter. It wasn't just, you know, well, we don't want our kids to have this. And they wrote back to us and they didn't take up any single point we made in terms of the data suggesting that this booster was unnecessary and that it had risk. In fact, they just doubled down on, we want the campus to stay over uh, open. Boosters are necessary for that. The CDC recommends safe and effective, you know, all those talking points that- The catchphrases. Right. Yeah. It, that's not science. And so there was no, it said, you know, here's our, our risk benefit analysis, the CDC says, you know, so it was, this, it was a very stonewalling, very polite, but stonewalling letter. And then at the end, it said, we're still within the two week window. If your student wishes to leave, refunds are still available. But then they went on to say, and exemptions are available, even if you've had the vaccination before, this is how to apply for them. And and we can't meet with you. And 
so that's what we got in return. And it was not signed by one individual person. These things are always signed by the committee, the system. Um, so, you know, it was really frustrating. But then when I talked to other parents around the country, I mean, I was almost like, wow, we're really lucky. We got an answer. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, but you don't. And you don't really get much from them. And so we're taking another pass at it and we're leaving out the data because they didn't, you know, I'm not going to FedEx 50 pages of data again. Right. Just to get them to say, but the CDC says this. Right. Um, But now we can say that this is what's being reported in the New York times. You know, this is how the tide has turned and Mm -hmm. we'll see. It's, it's really hard to know where the leverage is. Um, We spoke to a Dean um, from a, a school in California who was very interested in our work And he just said, you know, it depends on the governance of a college. Like, where is this policy coming from? You know, where is the point of leverage? And a lot of times it's the faculty. The faculty um, push hard for these mandates. They prefer, they don't want to teach in person. They want everyone to be masked. They want everyone to be vaccinated. They have this feeling that they are in particularly at some high risk and that the students are dangerous to them. So if the, the faculty have a lot of say on campus, that's what's pushing it. Maybe it's a donor. Maybe, you know, it's, it depends on the college. It's very difficult to know where to push. And also, what, what power do you have? I mean, if everybody took their tuition dollars and walked, you know, that's the way it should be done. But as a practical matter, nobody's going to do that or very few people are going to do it. I mean, I can't get my own son to do it. So I'm not going to tell everyone, hey, just don't do it. You know, I'm hypocritical. Somebody else can do it, but I, I'm not in that position. I'm, I'm curious, you know, over these last two months then, since you started actually organizing people, what what has your organization actually been able to do in that time? Um, just whether it's organizationally or whether it's making some headway with certain colleges, uh, what, what are you actually doing in the day to day to fight this? Um, that's a really good question, and it's one that is highly frustrating on the day-to-day. Um, there are several things that are happening. In the beginning of it, you know, a mere month and a half ago, the it was basically tr- for individuals to try to understand how to navigate their own situation. So it was like, look, my kid's up against this. What do I do? And so it was helping people find the resources, find other parents at their institution so they could connect and know what the stuff on the ground was. And I think that our chat group or our consortium has been extremely effective at that. Um, Somebody comes in and says, I'm a student at UCLA. This is where I am. Is anyone else here from there? And so they can be directed toward that subgroup or toward, well, this is what's worked for me. This is who to contact. So those individual actions have been very well supported. It's from an institutional change standpoint, you know, I can't say we've made any headway at all. I think there was one college in Hawaii that just dropped a booster mandate um, as a result of parents just barraging them with information. Um, but I think we're trying to figure out right now what as a group should we be doing? Um, we're in the middle of a petition to the American College Health Association. We're over 800 signatures on that. And we have an email campaign to them. Um, so that's something we've done We've tried to get op-eds in. We've gotten some press. Um, we're trying to raise awareness at this point. One more thing I, I am curious about as well. I know you said when you first you know, sent out uh, that initial message on, on the Facebook group, and obviously you got a lot of the standard responses there. But you know, like you said, this last couple of months has been a whirlwind. You've been on national television. Um, you're not really secretive about, about what you're doing here. I'm curious, have you received any kind of pushback in your personal life, like from family or, or friends or anything like that? <laughs> 
Yes. Yes, I have. Um, yes. I'm not trying to push those buttons anymore here, but I, I'm curious. No, no, no. I, I just hadn't thought about that today yet. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I have most of my friends in real life. Um, cause I have some virtual friends now that I feel like, you know, are really good friends, but most of my friends in real life, um, don't feel at all the way I feel about this, you know, and haven't been politically aligned with me for a long time. And so that's always a bit of a navigation, but I think for me to go on Fox was a bridge too far for a few people. And which is the ultimate sin probably for, for right. Which is kind of funny because I want to say, well, you know, hold my beer. I'll call Lester Holt, you know, or let's see if I can get on NPR. I'm sure you'd gladly go on CNN or MSNBC if they'd have you. They, I'll go anywhere. They will have me. And so, yeah, so that's caused some friction. And also just that this is a huge thing I'm doing and I don't feel like I can talk about it in company. So that's a little weird. Um, and then we have some family members who are very um, disinclined to think anything other than Tony Fauci is a national hero. So, you know, that's been an issue. But yes, you definitely, you have to get a lot of thick skin um, to do this. And you have to be willing to, you know, lose friends. It's sad that it comes to this, but I think on, on issues this serious, you know, if if I have to disagree with friends and those friends don't want don't want to be friends because of that, so be it. It's kind of the way I have to look at it, sadly. But, uh, you know, th- these are bigger issues than, than even a lot of friendships are. Oh, agreed. And I and I also would never say to somebody, I, I can't be your friend because you got vaccinated. I'm sure it's never coming from, from your side. I don't think so. I mean, I, I don't think so. Uh, actually, I'm, I'm kind of curious. Do people get involved in this that don't even have kids or don't have kids in, in college? Like, is, is are, do you get people that are just so passionate about the issue that they end up getting involved just because of their their stance, not necessarily because they have a personal stake? In it? I haven't seen too many. Um, I mean, certainly alumni um, will sign things, um, but there are parents whose kids are not yet in college who are already um, and just so if there are any colleges listening, um, a lot of colleges are being taken off lists um, of consideration because they force mandates. Um, so, you know, people are taking that into their calculus on where they wish to apply. So we have, you know, we have some professors, students, parents, um, most in there's some government people, but, you know, mostly people who are in this fight have some skin in the game for sure. Gotcha. So on that note, if anybody's listening that wants to get involved, whether they have a kid in college, whether facing a mandate issue or they're, they're seeing it on the horizon, uh, how can they either reach mm-hmm. out to you or just get involved with the organization overall? Well, what I would say is go to our website, which is nocollegemandates.com. It's a very simple website. And then you will find the links to our Telegram group and chat, our channel and chat there. Um, you can follow our official Twitter, which is at Free College Kids. Um, and then my Twitter is Lady Spalding 11. Um, those would be, that's where, how, how I would start. And then you can start to find your people. And then you will also find other groups. Like for instance, if you're at SUNY or CUNY or the UC systems, there are parent groups that have sprung out that are doing specific actions in that arena. Well, one thing I forgot to ask you, maybe we can just circle back to it. Sure. Um, you, know, you mentioned that, you know, in the beginning, some of those parents would call you like a helicopter mom right. or what have you. So I am kind of curious, how, not necessarily speaking to, to your own son here per se, but how passionate are the kids about about not taking these shots and about rejecting these mandates as well? Okay, sadly, um, they're not that passionate about it. Um, and But again, it's hard to know if they're... I mean, we've spoken to a lot of students who are that don't want to take these shots and they feel mm-hmm. absolutely coerced and they feel they can't raise their voice even among other students because 
there is such a push to conform. Um, I think most students are compliant and I find that disturbing. However, it's not my job to convert them. What it is my job, I think, as a citizen, as a parent, as an American, it's my job to do whatever I have to do to make this a choice. Um, if, if, if 90% of the kids on campus want to get a booster, they should be able to get a booster. If the 10% who don't, don't want to get one, they shouldn't have to, particularly when that booster does not protect the community and offers them no benefit. Um, so that's really basically the issue. Well, Joni, thanks so much. Uh, I really appreciate your passion and the fact that, you know, maybe I'm not one to talk because I literally talk about this stuff for well, not, not quite a living, but I talk about this stuff all the time. So I'm a bit of a talker, uh, but I appreciate that you're doing a lot more than just talking. You're out there taking action on what is just it's a very important issue now. And even even as we see the quote unquote narrative shifting or what have you, I look around and I don't see these mandates changing, whether it's at the corporate level exactly. or the college campus level or the school level. Yes. And so we just have to keep making noise until we can get a tipping point. And I think if we can get one or two colleges to tip, then we might have um, a way paved. All right, Joni. Well, I'm, I'm certainly glad we have you out there roaring away <laughs> and, and helping to pave that road as well. So thank you so much, Joni. Keep up the great work. Keep on roaring. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for having me. All right, gang. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Joni McGarry. Talk about a lion. Talk about a lion or a lioness, I should say. Uh, but Joni certainly is one. She is out there roaring for the rights of her son and many other people out there that are finding themselves in a similar situation. So please do check out what she's doing with No College Mandates. Follow her on Twitter, at Lady Spalding, as she mentioned. Of course, you can follow me. Follow me on Twitter, by the way. I never promote my Twitter, even though I'm on Twitter all the time. So if you want to see my my real-time hot takes, follow me on Twitter, at Mark Declare, M-A-R-C, the letter D, C-L-A-I-R, at Mark Declare. You can also follow my writing on Substack, when I need to speak in more than 80 characters, I'll hop over to Substack. It is called Metanoia. You can find it at markclair.substack.com. And if you just don't get enough of the sound of my voice, make sure you are subscribing to the Lions of Liberty with Mark Claire podcast feed. You may be listening to this on the Lions of Liberty Network feed, which you should definitely continue to subscribe to, where you get all of our content from all three of us, myself, Brian McWilliams on Wednesdays with ELL, and John on Thursdays, almost at Fridays. It used to be felony friday on thursdays with finding freedom you get all that content but over on my feed you also get some extra stuff including a lot of the interviews that i do on a bunch of other podcasts and i've done so many interviews in the last six months it's been just a firestorm so i'm i'm sharing a lot of those with you over there so lions of liberty with mark clarion please a five-star rating and a great review would be much much appreciated thank you very much until next week my friends i only have one request live long and live free and live free and live free and live free